This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back. We're back. We're back. After weeks off to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm and, Corey Wright. You're, and you almost forgot who you are. I'm I, I, uh, your sometimes host, Matt Scalina. Well, good, to, good to see you, Corey. It's you, been, you as well. I appreciate the name tags when we came in here. So that way we knew who each other were. It's been about a month. It's been about a month. I can clearly say with confidence, I'm fatter because my clothes don't fit. It looks like you, my friend, have been working out at F45 a lot. F45. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's one benefit of the market slowing down a little bit. Every single lunch hour we go right now. So we'll see how long it lasts. But it, it's, looks, uh, it looks like it. Yeah, it's um, it's a lifestyle choice. It feels good. Yeah, no, it looks good. You, you, I was away. Yeah, I was you away. were in Hawaii. I was in Hawaii, sitting in the ocean, literally almost got bit by a shark. Really? No, no, to totally, totally full of crap. But it's it's a good sound bite to start the show. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say. I was thinking you're gonna see fell yeah. off a bike. Yeah, or the only thing like I that. got bitten by was tuna, and that was about the forty pieces of sushi I was eating because <laughs> my pants don't fit anymore. So, who do we got on the show uh, today? We have the international investorpreneur Pete Leung's joining us back. He's pretty much at this point. Our international real estate correspondent, this guy's portfolio is so big. You know what? I've never spoken to Pete before. I think Adam did the show with you last time. He was on about a year ago. Yeah. This is so exciting because I know he's such an impressive guy and he has holdings all over the world. So it's incredible. It's, uh, he's it's coming incredible. live from Hong Kong, I believe. Recall him. So it's, it's, we're recording here at 10 a.m. Pacific time, which I think is 12 a.m. like next day. I think. Right. He's, so he's waiting up for us. We wanted to have Pete back because he's got so much, so many properties everywhere. It'd yeah. probably be easier if we named off the continents he doesn't own than if we named <laughs> off the continents he owns in. But because obviously the whole world's going through, you know, recession talk and interest rates and inflation problems everywhere, it's a great chance to see what is happening elsewhere besides Canada and how other markets affect the Canadian market, like the American market. What type of impact does it have on our markets here? And what does Pete also think things are going forward? Because he's very intelligent when it comes to the banking side of things. Right. And I, I'm keen to hear how, if at all, his strategies are changing in these in these uh, trying times. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. But before we get to that, Corey, this is a commercial real estate podcast. Yeah. I will say the residential market has picked up in the first couple of weeks of September here. Yeah. But August and July uh, as well were so slow that it almost had nowhere to go, but a little bit busier. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's. It's a good sign, positive sign for all of us, but it was to be expected. You guys are still running off your feet. Well, let's, you know, I'll be honest with you. Last week, we, we played one of our vintage great episodes again. And why that was, is we are so busy. I couldn't sneak out of the office to get here for the podcast. What explains that? Because we are now in, you know, just in, in terms of context here, we're September 16th. Inflation numbers out of the U.S. last week, I think, have led most commentators to think that the Bank of Canada is going to have to continue yep. to be very aggressive yep. with rate hikes. There's recessionary talk across yep. the board across, for all of North America, of course, and yep. and beyond. How do you explain that the commercial real estate market in Vancouver is so busy? Well, don't kid yourself. We've been affected by interest rates just like everybody else. Difference that we always tend to always talk about is we have no inventory to pick from. So we still... Throughout the summer months, you know, late spring, you know, we still suffer and we still have no inventory, which is demand is still quite high, obviously. But also at the same point in time, the slight difference is although you're having to put more money down to buy these things because of the loan to value that components come into place, but banks lend on the income of the building versus in residential. It's Adam, how much do you make? You've got to go through a stress test. Right now, when you're looking at prime rates, probably mid fives right. in a lot of banks. Right. I mean, you're stress testing at what, eight? Yeah. Right. On the residential side, which that has major impact because people's salaries probably haven't changed enough to sort of, you know, balance that completely different lending model, although it is affected and it is challenging. 
people are still finding ways to do it. The other thing we see a lot of times in commercial real estate, and this is a whole podcast on itself, what we call a vendor take back, where people who are actually physically selling the building as sellers, they will actually loan you the money by you pay them a percentage now, and they then lend you the money just like a bank would for a certain period of time over an amortization at an interest rate. And then after that time period, you, you bring in conventional financing and they go out. So that's a whole show on itself, but that is becoming much more ways that we can be creative in the so financing that, approach. So vendor takebacks are, are more prevalent More right prevalent now. now than we've seen in a long time. And I think also you're finding too, because as these interest rates have increased, guys who are coming off a two or three or four year mortgage at probably three and a half right. are staring down the barrel at six and a half to kind of get it. And they might have to put money into the property to meet the loan to value requirements. There's a whole bunch of things. So um, guys who have a lot of equity in the properties potentially may look at actually exiting and doing a vendor take back. The other thing you're finding is too, as inflation continues to rise, typically vendor take backs traditionally would be much higher than the current market interest rates. Well, guys right now and girls who want to sell or move money around, they might actually lend you money at less than you might get at the bank. They so, might get- so vendor takebacks, as I understand, then uh, are not necessarily worse terms than than traditional lending. Right now, no. Traditionally, they are because usually people don't want to be a, vend- a, l- a lender. So, like, well, if I am, give me eight percent. Yeah. Now, if they want to sell, because most banks are being much more harder to work with, they might say, "I'll lend you the money. I have nowhere to put the money. My property is is debt free, so I'll sell it to you for ten million. You give me two and a half or three million on a you know a seventy five or a seventy percent loan to value." You can pay the rest in an interest-only mortgage for two years at, say, 55 or 6%. And then that way, as a vendor, my money is working for me versus sitting in my bank, getting just demolished by inflation. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, if you don't pay me, I'll just take the property back right, you're and resell it again because I clearly know the property. And you paid me $2.5 or $3 million, and I've made some interest off you. And I'll probably go sell the building for $10 million again. So, I mean, lots of ways to get creative out there in the financing world. And that's definitely a show that we'll probably... Yeah, that, that sounds like a show in itself. So vendor takebacks, and uh, it is the interesting point here, the stress test and the different way of analyzing whether to lend money in the two markets seems like it's a, exactly. it's a huge factor right now. Well, that's good for you. I, I'm glad so to far, hear, so I'm glad so to hear so you good. guys are busy. <laughs> so far, so good. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Peter Leung, the international investorpreneur. Enjoy. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Peter Leung, global investor, investorpreneur, friend of the show, and dare I say, global correspondent to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing amazing. Thank you for having me, guys. And maybe for our listeners who haven't heard you on the show, I think you're on about a year ago now. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I listen to every show. So I'm an avid listener of the show as well. I'm a a global real estate investor. I've been investing in um, commercial real estate, residential real estate in um, parts of like um, UK, Canada, as well as the US, uh, parts of China. And I also um, love the stock market and uh, private equity and a, um, a family office as well. So I invest into pretty much anything that is investable, including art and, and that of like uh, Chinese tea. Wow, Chinese tea. So, so this is a broad scope. Pete, I think somebody out there has got to wonder, how did, how did you get your start? I started really in the financial industry, right? So, you know, as I was 19 years old, I was in the financial industry, you know, sort of got licensed in in the security side, wanting to understand, you know, how money works. And it was really quite early on that I I learned that, you know, a nine to five wasn't going to work for me. It was not uh, working for somebody on their terms wasn't really my style. And so I needed to learn how I could uh, get ahead, you know, do it my way. And because I was started in securities or, you know, in, in equity, I realized very quickly that very few people actually make money. 
in that industry. And it's because that there's so much understanding of money or talk of money, but yet people were not able to save money over long term. So I always wanted to identify how I could for me and my family, you know, change our family tree. Cause my family was always in the, in, you know, working, working really hard. I'm the only child. And my father had worked, you know, crazy hours, 10, 11, 12 hours was actually a norm for him, right. To serve, you know, for our family to survive. And so I've identified there's gotta be a faster way, a better way. And, you know, my father gave me the education, the ability to get Westernized education. So I've got to do something different. And I've pondered on real estate when, I realized that was the way that people were able to save money, right? They were able to, you know, the basics of it would be buy property and then rent it out and have the have the tenant pay for your mortgage. So I that really got my curiosity. And as I started to dig into the field of of real estate and how people became, you know, millionaires at that time, that's where real estate came into the picture. And so that was my focus. I knew I needed to save and I needed to be able to enter into passive income, right? You know, as Rich Dad Poor Dad said, right? How can I turn, you know, from active income into passive income? That's exactly where real estate came into the picture for me about uh, 10, 11 years, 11 years ago. And can you talk about your first deal? Because you're, so you're coming to us from Hong Kong, correct? Was it in That's right. Hong Kong? Was it in Canada? Where, where did you, where did you first uh, get involved in commercial real estate? Well, I first got involved in, in residential real estate, right? And so residential real estate was in Vancouver. And as a matter of fact, I bought my first piece of property because I, you know, because of presale, right? I didn't, I didn't have all the money, right? A lot of people go, well, I'm the first person in our family to buy property that we didn't actually just lived in, right? Right. So my family is very anti-debt, right? As a lot of Asian families were, we were, my father was strictly against any type of debt, right? Um, so he didn't believe in a mortgage. He didn't believe in a mortgage that was, was, was other than something we lived in, right? It goes, you know, always be very careful and prudent about debt. And so uh, I didn't really have their blessing until I think it was like four properties in when they found out that I was actually getting property. And I bought these properties in, um, in Vancouver as a, as a, as a presale. And at that time, you know, when you buy a presale, you just get this package in the mail, right? You still get a package in the mail and, and it says something to the factor of, you know, congratulations on your purchase, right? Here's sort of a, you know, a welcome and a thank you way back, way back, you know, 10, 10, 11 years ago. And so because of that, I was already in Hong Kong and my mother then asked if I wanted, you know, she wanted my, my mail opened. And I said, of course, I mean, like, I'm not going to come back anytime soon yet. So she, that's when they found out I was buying property because of this package in the mail. And at first they were really upset because they said, well, how, how could you do this behind, you know, behind our, our back? How could you be buying, you know, a, a property behind our back? And so I did the, the, the one thing that I, I learned in, I learned in business, which is, you know, ask for forgiveness after you, you get found <laughs> out. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, I just said, sorry, right? There's no right answer to that. I just said, I'm sorry. You know, first week, my dad was mad. And and I've never had my father sit me down and say, you know, what were you doing? We told you not to do it. And all I could say was sorry. Uh, a weekend, you know, he's he sort of mellowed out. And I already, you know, my, my best response was I already bought it. What do you want me to do? That was pretty much the response. And I remember fast forward now today, in 2018, my father became a real estate investor. And of course, not because he saw what I was doing, but he obviously figured it out uh, that, you know, there's got to be another better way, right? And he goes, well, it's not because of you, but I think real estate's it. So <laughs> something changed in him, right? And of course, you know, your father's always right. So from that standpoint, you know, it just changed our family tree. Real estate from residential to commercial just changed our entire family tree for for different generation, for generations to come for them. And so... Vancouver presale was was the first. Can you talk a little bit about? I, I'm cu- kind of curious about transitioning to, or not necessarily like as if you're not investing in residential anymore, but moving towards commercial and other markets, right? Because it sounds like, if I understand you, you understood the Vancouver market quite well, but but you're involved in in different countries with different systems, political, economic. So how are you? How'd you get into commercial and then make that leap to kind of being in multiple continents? That's a great question. So 
It all started because at that time, way back then, there was very few restrictions on TDSR, right? Total debt service ratio. So you can pretty much buy a lot of pre-sales and it's not on record, right? I mean, you can buy 50 pre-sales even today and it doesn't matter because you, you're only putting down 10, 15, 20%. Right. And at that time, I went nuts because I'm like, hey, this is awesome because I only had to put down at that time 5% and get into a property. And I started seeing this trend of people just buying, you know, I want three, you know, A units, I want four units. And I started seeing a lot of Asian capital, right, really enter into the into the Canadian economy. And because of things of that nature, I went with the trend. I said, hey, you know, why, why go against the grain? If people are buying all this stuff, maybe I should jump on. That's why I started buying so many pre-sales. I think at one time, I don't remember now for certain, but I was either 15 or 16 pre-sales that I bought, right? And it was only all 5% down, 10% down. So right. I, I scraped up whatever I had, right? Didn't spend it on on booze or, or smokes or any of that nature. I just said, you know what? Enough of the partying. Never really got into that phase. Let me pile all this into property. This, is, this is where Adam went really wrong. No, he, I think he figured it out, right? I think he figured it out, as a matter of fact. So it was just it was just that time that, you know, once I had all these, you know, pre-sales, that was great. And I actually, you know, turned them around and actually sold off some of these pre-sales, right? And assigned them. And I started to figure out, hey, you know, there's actually a business here. What if I bought these things and turned it around and actually assigned them? So that was great because now you're getting, you know, you're putting 5 or 10% down and you're able to make almost 100% return in some cases over a year or two, right? So I said, okay, well, this is great. So I sold off some and that fueled a little bit more to be able to pay, you know, the down payment, the, 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 another 10% for the down, a full down payment at that time, 20%, 25% uh, um, of down payment. And then I could finance the 75%. But it got to the certain point where I knew this wasn't going to work anymore because total debt service ratio came into play. Income became another element. If I'm self-employed, that became harder to, to identify the ability to finance. And so I got inspired. I said, well, well there's got to be another better way because these residential things are, are cool. They make good money, but I'm feeling like I'm tapped out because the banks are getting harder and harder to qualify me because they looked at me, Peter, as an individual. So that's where commercial real estate really became, you know, a, a lifesaver because it wasn't, you know, once I got well, understood about commercial real estate, I realized that they didn't care who Peter was. They cared who the tenant was. So I said, well, that's great because now the attention is not on me. I'd come up with the money, but now that the banks aren't looking at me to, you know, as, as the qualifier, they were looking at my tenant as the qualifier. I just went, okay, well, how can I find the best tenants? for the banks to finance, right? So I just needed good, you know, covenants, right? I needed good tenants to be able to take to the bank. And that's exactly what I did because now they, there's no limits as to how many mortgages I have. There's no limits as to, um, you know, how big a property I wanted to buy or how, you know, how, where the property was for that matter. And I just said, how can I buy the best properties with the best tenants, take it to the bank, and they will finance me essentially, you know, in some cases up to 90%, which was even higher leverage than residential. Right. And so I just went, if this works, how fast can I do it? And that's been my model, right? If this works, how fast can I do it? And that's what propelled my, my commercial real estate career is, is I realized I could take this and really run with it and, and as fast as I can. Because I knew a window of opportunity was available, so that's how I went. Uh, my commercial real estate, you know, started from Vancouver. At that point, I was all residential in Vancouver, in Canada, and then it became uh, commercial real estate in Vancouver, and then commercial real estate uh, across Canada. So that's how I that's how I started. And so I'm kind of curious. And sorry, I know Corey talks to you all the time, so I'm monopolizing the questions here, but. But moving into different markets, so you understand Vancouver, it sounds like once you get into commercial, you start diversifying in terms of markets. Can you talk a little bit about how you select markets uh, and, and what an opportunity looks like? Sure. So um, actually, that's an amazing question. So there are certain things I really uh, catered around. So it was, I realized that my partners were the banks, right? So if I had the down payment, my biggest 
capital partner was actually the bank. So I never saw them as a lender. I saw them as a partner. So what is my partner actually looking for? And, and that's really what I ran on, right? And for a very long period of time, I just said, well, what does my lender want, right? What does my partner want? And they wanted really great tenants. And so I saw them as a way to actually vet, you know, my deals. So instead of Peter being thinking he's smart, right? Just because he's Asian doesn't make him smart. <laughs> I said, hey, you know, and I had glasses. So I'm like, hey, you know, I could look like I'm smart. But I realized that the banks were the ones who could actually tell me whether I'm doing something good or whether I wasn't doing something good, right? Did it meet their criteria? So I started to understand what the banks want, the tenants. Then I started understanding, you know, they were able to tell me if the type of property I'm about to buy is a good one because they have the sort of research, they have the backing of the credit team. They wanted to tell me, okay, well, at that time, you know, office was, you know, before COVID office was, a, was, was one of the assets that I've always stayed away from. Right. And it's because they said, Hey, it's the last thing to go up and it's really the first thing to come down. Right. And I'm like, okay, great. So never really got involved in offices. Right. Never really looked at that. Retail was, was really great for them to qualify on. So I said, okay, well, what type of, what type of tenants would be great? So one of my earlier tenants, Shopper Drug Mart, right? Loblaws in the UK was, um, you know, Tesco's. Um, I've got a like sort of an IKEA Express. So I started going after what type of tenants can I acquire as part of my portfolio. So that was really my take. It wasn't really like, okay, well, Peter, where where is the property going to be? Well, it doesn't really matter because I was really zoned in on what type of tenants I could get. So as long as you had a, an, a place where I can buy empty and then occupy, right? Um, with a good tenant, AAA tenant, or at least a AA tenant, that was my criteria. So all across Canada, that's what I went after, right? And I can understand the, the rules and the regulations because the banks could do that for me, essentially, right. right? I can use their leverage against their expertise to be able to expand my portfolio because of you know their international or at least the Canadian-wide reach. So that's that's exactly what I did. So it's interesting. I'm just thinking here, the idea of the lender as partner is like a, is a, is a great idea and a great takeaway for, I think anyone listening, seeing lenders as partners. You also, of course, I know you work closely with uh, some of the hottest talent here in Vancouver, uh, on, on the real estate side, Mr. Corey, Wright. Was it also about finding kind of talented individuals in, in markets to locate these properties? Like, can you talk about the network that you had to develop? Absolutely. So, you know, Corey and I actually met on a deal, right? And he was actually on the selling side of it, and I was on the buying side of it. And you know, the team is 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 tremendously important. We, you know, for example, not just not just Corey. I mean, we've we've bought stuff because of a social media post, right? As Corey can attest to it. We we we, you know, I saw on his Instagram or not his, but his his um, oh, William Wright commercial, he posted an Instagram picture of a deal that he was about to bring to market. And that's a, a building that we've bought from from Corey. So I look at, uh, you know, and on that transaction. So team is really important in, in terms of doing business. I've, you know, during Brexit, which was the UK, right, when when that was when I entered the, U, the UK market it was, you know, in July, that's when, you know, they sort of had the the vote. And then shortly after, once they decided, okay, we're going to separate, I saw that as my break. And so for the duration, 24 months um, after Brexit, I bought 46 properties in the UK, right? And so it was all about the team. I lived in Hong Kong, but I started buying in the UK. And then when COVID started happening, then I started, and, and I started buying a lot more into the US. I started buying a lot more into Canada. So that's where I got diversity is because of the people I work with. You know, since COVID, I haven't done very much traveling at all. And it's because of, you know, Zoom and everything else like that. But it's also because of the team, the relationships, the people who are amazing at what they do, right? I never saw myself as the, as the smartest guy. I saw myself as hiring the smartest people or working with the smartest people, the best people who know their market, right? And people who were in the UK knew the UK market, people who knew the Vancouver market, like Corey knew the, the Vancouver market, the, the, the BC market better than anybody else. So I decided to find the best people I could work with and tap into their talent, their resources, their networks. And that's exactly what happened to for me to glow, grow, whether in Canada, US, or the UK. So Pete, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on today is obviously you do have that international reach through your portfolio. And obviously the whole world has sort of been experiencing COVID and inflation together and stuff like that. 
we wanted to sort of pick your brain to see what are you seeing there through through all the different markets that you are in. Is there what markets are are suffering more than others, and how do some of these markets, maybe like the states, have dramatic impact, good or bad, on the Canadian market, the Canadian real estate market in particular? And we'll also get, you know pick your brain too on what your thoughts are moving forward with how does everything kind of play itself out? The fact that you do have such an international reach. Thank you. Um, here's what I would say. You know, with during the early parts of COVID, right? Hyperinflation was one of the things that I've really been a big believer in. That inflation, they would have to just print massive amount of money, right? And and that's exactly what happened. Now that the money has been printed, now they're starting to take that away and go, well, we need to raise rates as quickly as possible. Now I'm no economist, but I listen to a lot of different economists or different banks, uh, different private banks, different institutions as to their equities as well as their bond market and everything else. So I look at you know the fundamental you know element being this: as the world now you know has an increasing rate situation, you have markets like you know Canada which the Canadian dollar is significantly cheaper. And that's also why I deal with multiple markets is because of the FX component, right? As the US dollar goes up, I'm starting to, okay, let me sell off my US real estate or actually you know, refinance, take out my equity, and then be able to buy in markets where, like Canada, where the Canadian dollar is actually a lot you know, more beneficial to me right now, right? Because I'm getting a dollar thirty-two now, versus you know a year ago being a dollar twenty. So I look at you know advantages in the FX side, UK a little bit in the same similar state, but where I see things going forward is that certain assets are still going to remain extremely strong, right? So we talked about you know aspects of of storage facilities. We looked at. Um, the ability for uh, data centers, which we've we went on a rampage on a on on a, on a purchasing standpoint of buying uh, data centers, or the ability to build, you know, to, to contract data centers for them to run uh, data center operations, warehousing, um, logistics, being for that matter. So anything along the lines of of digitalization, AI, and 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 robotics became a really really hot topic. So. I still, again, look at asset, you know, which asset classes are going to continue to grow. There are certain assets that I like, including office that I'll, I'll stay away from for the, for uh, probably for the foreseeable future, generally speaking. Now there's going to be sub pockets and everything else like that, that I have to take into consideration, but office strictly, and if it was just generally, I would stay away from, and that's just because there is less and less possible demand, right? Where is my uh, blue ocean? What's the possibilities? So some of the you know digital assets that I'm, I'm working with in terms of warehousing or data centers have demanded 10, 15, 20, 25 year leases. And those are the stuff I really like. And that's what I encourage. Longer leases today, which will hedge against inflation, also have the cap, you know, asset appreciation, and then provide a co- constant ability for AAA asset cash flow. So those are things that will meet my criteria, regardless of whether it's going to be in Canada, US, or UK, or China for that matter, right? And I believe that as the rate starts to increase, it's going to allow people who are, you know, major, major corporations are going to still continue to buy. Right. That's not going to change. So as long as the now not only the banks are my my partners, I'm looking at what, you know, Blackstone, what BlackRock, what KKR, some of these private equity funds, REITs are actually now buying. So I'm going, how can I acquire these assets and then actually put them together as a bundle and actually sell them off, right? As a potential exit. Because they'll buy them in bundles, right? But they don't buy them in five million, ten million. They might pick that up as twenty-five, fifty million dollars as an ass as, as as a package. So I'm looking for opportunities along those lines. But as interest rates come up, a lot of mom and pops or individual investors are going to start being priced out. They're going to start approaching the situation where the lenders are going to be less interested in lending to uh, individual investors. And secondly, as the interest rates rise, you're going to have a lot more people not qualified because of the cash flow, right? I'm not getting enough debt service ratio in terms of the property to be able to you know, buy the properties that they want. So these are the times where identifying having the right people, the right type of investors, and identifying markets that you want to really go into in terms of population or the ability where, like Vancouver, I love, right? In the, in the Vancouver market, I love because you know, regardless of what happens with the, um, the 
the global economy, Vancouver is going to be one of those places where I think it's going to continue to strive in every way because of, of the, the geographical component, right? You also have the demand of, of increasing uh, population. So I look for these type of pockets where going forward, those are going to shine and continue to shine. What goes up continues to go up. Hong Kong has stayed strong irregardless, even though it's, it's faced a lot of hiccups, but it's still the real, mar- real estate market is still very buoyant and also very transactional. So, Peter, looking at things more on a micro angle versus a macro, micro will center in on BC. What are what are you seeing in your portfolio within BC? What areas may have been greatly affected or asset classes more than other? And then I guess as a follow-up question to that, where's Peter putting his money if he's investing in BC commercial real estate? Well, definitely the markets I really love are going to be in Maple Ridge. I still love the markets. I mean, GVRD Vancouver itself, I really love because I think a lot of people, there was such an outflow during COVID for them to, you know, buy in the outskirts, right? So the the, the some of the, the capital has flowed into secondary market. You know, Victoria has been a big one. Nanaimo has been another big one. Maple Ridge, you know, Chil- you know Chilliwack, I really love. So if I was to pick some of these markets, I think Chilliwack is right up the right up the list for me. Maple Ridge is another big one. Uh, Nanaimo is a huge one because I think these markets have tremendous population growth, have people moving into these areas, right? Pockets where they're going, okay, I'm moving a little bit further out. Now we can say that you know, with some element of certainty that population is not necessarily going to move back so quickly. They want bigger space, right? And so because of that, you have markets that are outside of specifically GVRD that are popular. And so I think if I, if, 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 and and what I'm doing today is investing in these secondary markets. So that's where I feel a significant uh, opportunity because of population growth, because of how people are now changing their lifestyle to be able to cater to, to to work from home. So I would focus very, very much on on these secondary markets like Nanaimo, Chilliwack, Maple Ridge. And that's where I'm investing my capital today. Peter, with the with the size of your portfolio and 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 scope, there's a lot of people out there that are the mom and pops. And it sounds like you're thinking uh, you know, mom and pop investors, it's going to be a challenging moment, but uh, or at least climate for the foreseeable future. Can you talk about if your strategies have changed over the last, say, six months to a year for dealing with your portfolio in terms of of just the changing environment, rising rates? You know, just it's a it's a it's a more challenging time. Can you talk about changing strategies? Yeah, I, this is a great question. I think very timely as well. And this is where I focus, uh, you know, dramatically where. You know, in the UK, I focus a lot on residential, right? Since COVID, I have not bought one property in the UK, and and that and and that's because of how the handling of um, the the residential market has been in the UK. In Canada, for that matter, I think that focusing on strong tenancy, right, focusing on strong covenants, again, is going to be very important here. So, you know, the mom and pops, even though, yes, it's going to be a little bit more challenging, but this is where opportunity is. As everybody starts to go, well, you know, I might not qualify, I might not be able to do these things, and they start to shy away. This is the moment of truth, right? This is when everybody goes, okay, let's, let's, let's hold on. This is where you actually look for the, those hidden gems because market people are looking to sell and there's less people to buy. Right. So over the last two years, everybody has just been wanting to buy. There's a flood of liquidity. Right. So how are you going to be able to identify opportunities today? And like, you know, speaking with Corey or speaking with other professionals, what are the opportunities? And there's still people who are selling. Right. There's still a lot of people selling in the marketplace. How can you be a little bit more creative and identify opportunities while there's fewer people buying? And and there are a lot of properties that are sub um, three, four million dollars that will still be a very good, um, you know, beginning portfolio builder. That's what I'm also focused on. You know, I'm not properties that are really, really expensive, but focusing on properties that are sub four million, right? Sub five million. Sometimes, op- you know, finding opportunities sub two million, right? It's okay to mine a smaller property, but a good tenant is going to go a long way right now, and that's going to be a very solid all it fundamental to start building your portfolio because when the market's good, right, and starts to turn, nobody knows the bottom, right? Nobody knows when 
you know, they're going to start going, you know, bring more liquidity to the table as well after curbing inflation. So you just got to be able to ride through. Nobody knows the bottom. Nobody knows the top. But what we're able to identify is stay invested in the market. So for whether it's, you know, mom and pops or people who are just starting out or people who already have a portfolio, I'd encourage really strongly to look into more uh, commercial tenants versus residential tenants. So I don't I'm not a big fan of multifamily. Right. I don't believe in that because I believe when the market starts to change, which it's starting to evolve, a lot of people are going to face challenges with jobs. And the minute that jobs become a factor, then, you know, tenancy and vacancy starts to become a factor, even though the rent has gone up so much. And so from that standpoint, I'd look for assets that are, I'd still love retail. And for that matter, because, you know, finding good tenancies are available, still very much in this climate today. So you're, just to be clear, you're full steam ahead. And in fact, potentially seeing this moment as, uh, you know, the next six months to a year is as a, a real buying opportunity. Buying well, absolutely. Right. And because when there's less competition, it doesn't mean you stop, you stop hunting for gems. Right. So stay invested, buy well. Right. And you're not, it doesn't mean that you're buying everything. Right. You're not looking for everything to be a part of your portfolio. If you were to pick, identify opportunities today comes a long way because if you've invested now and made a prudent investment decision, right. And the bank will recognize that. So as a matter of fact, during this time, I've had banks who come to me and go, hey, Peter, I've got, you know, somebody is is looking to sell. Are you looking to buy? So I get more of an opportunity to actually pick through more, right? Because they've seen your track record. So you, this is a good time to build that track record as well, right? Don't see that as an opportunity to go, okay, I'm just going to wait. Because when everybody else wants to buy and you're buying, you're just part of the crowd. But if you're now looking to acquire, Right. And you say and you speak to that to your professionals. Right. And your bankers and your and your lenders as well, your mortgage, uh, you know, more, your mortgage people. Then I would tell you they're going to be like, hey, this is great. So the criteria then get put together. And when opportunities come, you're you're ready to pounce on it. So I would say, yes, I am full steam ahead, but I am prudent on what I buy and uh, how much I'm spending. I'm also not overpaying. I want to be able to find the opportunities that people are not looking into and being a little bit more creative, right? How can I buy properties that are near vacant, vacant, but turn that around and actually put a tenant in and put a great tenant in? And so if I can do stuff of that nature, being a little bit more creative, then I can certainly believe that during this time, it's going to build up my credentials with the lenders as well as the investors to be able to ride through this time and beyond. So this is a great time to build your your CV. Fantastic. Maybe as a final question before uh, the the six pack, I have to ask Peter. Real estate, I think it makes perfect sense. The story works. Is art and tea? Is that just uh, how's the cash flow there? And um, why are you moving in? Is that just a diversification play? Is that an interest? Inquiring minds need to know. Well, aside from art, so, you know, watches, I'm really big into watches as well. Tea is another big one because these assets are, you know, art is very, you know, transactional as well to be able to, you know, I mean, if I want to invest in that type of asset, that's been really strong during COVID, right? Watches have been, you know, a significant gain over the last two years. It's a little bit slower today. But it's very, very, you know, there's a lot of volume transacting all the time, especially out of Asia. Tea poor has always been a big one. Uh, you know, I've come to understand that industry and and the, and the growth is over 100% a year for tea. Wow. Right. And I just said, this is crazy. I mean, like, how is this even possible? So I, I've bought tea for today and probably enough for the next 30 years, you know, until my kids get married. Right. So I've, I've collected this um, collection because of uh, the, the demand, right? Anything that grows old is able to be collectible. And there's a huge population following that. So uh, it is a is an enjoyment, but also at the same time, it is a, the ability for uh, auctions. I've had auctions uh, call me to buy collections that I've, I've bought in the past. So I look at, you know, referencing auctions as the open market to be able to to buy the type of, um, you know, collections that I, I could get my hands on while inflation is going high. These 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 art collections, as well as watches, as well as these, um, you know, poor these type of Chinese tea has has really, um, really done extremely well. A very, very different uh, um, asset class. I was always amazed to what the billionaires bought. So now now I have a clear <laughs> distinction of what the billionaires buy during 
during COVID now. A uh, student of markets. <laughs> uh, this is an amazing, that, that's amazing stuff. Pete, I know it's early there in Hong Kong and we appreciate you staying up for us today. We do have our six pack of lighthearted questions. We ask all of our guests so we get to know you a little bit more. Do you have just a few more minutes there in the waking hours? Absolutely. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right. First question up. When you find yourself in Vancouver, favorite restaurant or bar? Um, it's got to be. You know what? I still love Tojo's. Yeah. Good choice. Tojo's is one of my favorite restaurants, you know, because of, you know, I mean, you know, how many restaurants have, you know, Tiger Woods and U2 and Mono saying the best restaurant in the world? Wow. I, I've never met those guys. So <laughs> I'll take their word for it. <laughs> Second question, Peter. Uh, and I guess uh, Hong Kong, you may have different Netflix uh, uh, shows available, but what are you binge watching right now? Um, you know what? I've been watching. Well, Suits has always been on my favor. I've watched it like three oh, times oh, now, right? Corey's fist um, bump in the area. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of my it's one of my favorites. And, um, you know, I had to I have to say, though, you know, yes, different different shows. But um, I love the uh, documentary on Blackpink, the, uh, the 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 Korean artists. Right. So the, the four girls that uh, and their rise to fame. So I wow. I've been you know, I've been really big into that right now, too, with my wife. Yes. Yeah. OK, Pete, unfortunately, you find yourself on death row. You get one last meal before the day is done, before the before we call it quits for life. What meal are you having? It's going to be a steak and it's going to be Wagyu beef. I would uh, would go with a, probably a filet mignon, but I would uh, I would definitely do that with uh, sweet potato fries and a uh, with with some gravy and mashed potatoes, asparagus, and some portobello, uh, portobello mushrooms. That's what I'm going to do. Wow. That, that could be the best one we've had so far. <laughs> In specific. Uh, I've given a thought to that one. <laughs> Do we dare ask why? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how can you turn down a good steak, right? Yeah. How can you turn down a good steak? That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, Peter, you get to keep one watch. Which is which is your favorite? It is my Augment Piquet uh, Perpetual Calendar uh, 50th anniversary blue dial. Um, that is going to be the watch that I will, uh, that I've been fortunate to be able to buy this year. And it's going to be the watch that I will pass on to my children, um, as, uh, as their wedding gift. Oh, cool. Do we, do we dare ask how much that watch would cost? Um, uh, when I purchased it, which was three months, ago, four months ago, uh, which I was blessed to be able to, to be allocated one, it was 90 K us. Um, and on the mar- open market today, it's about one one eighty one eighty five. Just curious minds are wondering: Do you finance a watch at ninety k, or do you? <laughs> I'm looking at Max. I, I, I wish that service was available, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, unfortunately, none. That's and that's that's the one thing, right? And and in Hong Kong, people do look at watches, and it's just yeah. it's been fascinating to me how. Um, that there's a watch community that I belong to. And there, I remember going to one event and we had, uh, probably about 80 people there. And the amount of watches that we had was, you know, we calculated each watch on average was about 50,000 and every person had to bring three watches. So 80 people times that by, by three watches at 50 K, I mean, there's a lot of money in the room and there's not too many places in the world, um, aside from maybe Dubai, Hong Kong, which is safe, right? To, to have that um, amount of watches in a room. So it's, it's incredible to, to, to meet other individuals and other watch collectors who also, by the way, you know, are usually real estate investors, especially commercial real estate investors. So I'd say, you know, you know, that's the secret, right? It's, it's the real estate that creates the income that allows them to live the life that they want to be able to buy the perks of like watches that they're able to, able to acquire 
as a secondary portfolio. So I, you know, I think a lot of people's lives were changed because of real estate. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. A book all of our listeners need to read. 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. That's, that's the book that changed my life. Uh, it's the book that I believe that everybody can benefit, whether it's going to be running your own business, whether it's going to be working in an organization, whether it's management, self-employment, or corporate C-level. Um, I would say that is the book that, has, that I gift to many of our investors. I gift that to you know, bankers that I've worked with. But that book has single-handedly changed my mindset as to what I can do in terms of lead people, lead teams, and uh, uh, and, and acquire investors as well as partners. So that would be the book for me. You, you can't see Matt here, but Matt has logged onto his Audible just so it. fast. I just bought it. And that, and then actually the funny thing is, Matt asked me for a good book recommendation last week. So I sent him a book called Disney Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now listening to both at, oh, both at the same time. One about Mickey Mouse and the other one that's going to change my life in a dramatic fashion. <laughs> All right, Pete, last question for here before we let you go. A piece of advice you would give a commercial investor right now looking to invest in a marketplace where obviously we're seeing high inflation and high interest rates. What's the secret to buy right now, knowing that the current market environment we're circling in? That's a great question. What's the one piece of advice? I would say the one piece of advice that I would give is have a very clear relationship with your lender. Have a very, this is the time to, to build really, really solid foundations, whether it's, it's yeah, because it, you're, they're already invested. So how can you go and identify opportunities with the lenders as to properties or investors that are looking to liquidate. I think that is going to be, I've been sent many deals because I've asked the lenders, do you know anybody who's looking to sell? And the list goes on, right? So I would say, go to the lender, identify what type of properties that you want to be acquiring. In my case, I think, you know, strong tenancy base, strong covenant base, and ask them if there's properties that they're, in the know are on going to be on the market or potentially they want to continue to uh, service the debt or continue to hold the debt, but with a new owner. So I think that is, that's my tip for the day. Great advice. Great advice. Fantastic. Well, how can uh, people find out more about what you're doing, Peter? I, I don't know if you're, uh, you put out a newsletter, I hope, but, uh, but if not, how can people find out more? Yeah, so people can look at look me up in LinkedIn. That's where I work a lot of professionals, uh, busy professionals looking to grow their uh, passive income. So I'm Peter Leung, I A M Peter Leung. You can find me on Instagram as well as on Facebook. I'm I'm also I had my own podcast, Investorpreneur, as well, talking about you know back in 2000, uh, early part of the pandemic when um, you know hyperinflation and all this stuff was going to you know plan out. So I'm I'm very searchable. I am Peter Leung. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. That was a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Thanks, Pete. Get some sleep. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Pete. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. Our interview with Peter Lee Young, investorpreneur. And I can honestly say this, one of the smartest guys I've had the pleasure of meeting. I met Peter years ago. And he's very humble on the show. But I can tell you, I bounce a lot of ideas off him. I draw advice from him because he is, has such a, a massive portfolio and experience, wealth of knowledge. And if I can, I, I don't want to give away his secret, but I remember we, I was doing a deal for him at a property on Vancouver Island and we got this counter. And I think we were going to go back at, I can't remember what the number was. We'll just call it 4-8 for the argument's sake. So I'm right. kind of making some suggestions to Pete. Here's kind of where the numbers are. And Pete kind of cuts me off and says, 4-7-618-600. And there's a long pause. And I'm like, okay. And I said, can I ask why, Pete? He's like, we need to convince these sellers that we know what we're doing. We got this down to the penny to see if they'll accept our offer so they figure out where the buyer's. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's a good strategy. We'll, we'll go with that. Offer accepted. It sounds like Pete knows what he's doing. Just a little <laughs> bit. 
just a little just bit. Just a little bit. Great guy. You know, and one thing that that struck me here was, and again, the the humble, humble rings true. Building teams, right? Yeah. Whether it's with lenders or real estate professionals, he's managed to build a portfolio over a number of different continents through building, finding talent, basically, and and really developing those relationships. So so great having Pete on the show. Before we cut for the day, Corey, I don't know if there's any, uh, you're, you're scrambling. So We're you got to get out of here. We're busy. Uh, We're busy. I, I got to get to F45. And but the thing is we've got, <laughs> you got to get to F45. I have, I have to go to Weight gotta Watchers. I got to that. Uh, stop off at Weight Watchers after this. We've got tons of great episodes, amazing guests lined up. We're so happy to be back. So hopefully people, uh, you mean, they appreciate we had a little bit of time off there, but we're full speed ahead with a, with a tremendous list of guests coming up. That's, that's fantastic to hear. Uh, Peter Leung did not disappoint. That's no. for sure. And for anyone listening who's looking for a synopsis of today's episode or any of the back catalog of the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, you can, of course, find that at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And Corey, how can people find out more? And I think a lot of people after hearing Peter are going to be inspired. How can people reach out? People can reach us out. They can find us anytime on our website at williamwright.ca. They're welcome to send me an email anytime at Corey at williamwright.ca. Or you're welcome to reach our, our head office in Vancouver at 604-428-5255. Let us know what you're looking for and we'll put you in touch with the best broker throughout the province. Fantastic. We will leave it there. Thanks uh, for getting back in the office here, Corey, or back to Kokomo Studios, I should say. It's just, good to see you. Just and rolled uh, myself up here. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. All the food I eat, I just rolled right up the <laughs> stairs now. We'll be back next week. Uh, enjoy the week, everyone. Thanks for listening, guys. Subscribe today.